morning, everyone. As we turn our attention to God's word this morning, we seek to receive it with joy-filled reverence and sober humility. The summons to the word found in your bulletin prepares our heart and our minds to do that. Let's read it together. This is the one whom I look upon with favor, declares the Lord, the one who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. This morning's scripture reading is taken from Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. Again, the text is Romans 8, verses 12 through 17. Hear now the word of the Lord from the Romans 8, chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the, of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we call Abba Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Well, some of you may know, um, this past week I was on vacation and so um, I, went, I went on a road trip with my twin daughters and we had a great time. We got back into town yesterday and. So uh, this morning we have the privilege of having Bob Yarborough, who is from Covenant Seminary. He's a professor of New Testament there. He's ordained in the Presbyterian Church of America. And he, um, one of the things I really appreciate about Bob is that he has a very real passion for missions. Uh, for the last 25, I want to say 30 years, he has been involved in training uh, ministry leaders uh, in Europe and Africa. It's a beautiful thing to see uh, someone who is an academic, someone who is a professor, have such a heart for the church of Christ and the mission of God in the world. He's the author of a number of books relating to the New Testament, especially the, the letters, uh, the, the books written by the Apostle John. I'm going to embarrass him a little bit. He's quite the linguist. Um, he's a Germanist. I want to say that you, were you, in the, did you do your PhD with Hans Beyer? Is that right? In, in, in Aberdeen, the same time frame. Um, Hans uh, Beyer was my, my professor of New Testament uh, while I was at Covenant, and so appreciated him. Um, and, and Bob may not remember this, but when I was actually finishing my time at Covenant, I was wrestling with where to go to, uh, to do my grad studies, to do my, my PhD, and uh, actually was recommended to me that I call him up and seek his counsel. And Bob's counsel, his advice proved uh, very helpful to me in uh, discerning where uh, the Lord's will was for me to go to, to school, so um, I really appreciated that, that counsel. Bob is, is, is married and has two adult sons, one lives in Chicago and in L.A., and uh, one of the things I, I, one of the factoids about Bob that I really appreciate that he has spent at least a, a fairly good amount of time in Montana, is that right? And I'm, I'm originally from the great state of Montana, from, from Big Sky Country, as you know, so, and Bob is actually trained, if you can believe, he's trained as a lumberjack. 
So maybe you can ask him afterward about that outside. I'm sure he would be, um, but Bob, thank you so much for, for coming. Let me pray for you, and uh, let's pray for all of us as we see God's word. Father, we have indeed received the summons to the word, and we desire that our hearts be humble, that we would be contrite in spirit, that we would tremble at your word, a word of hope, a word of peace, a word of wisdom, a word of warning. Father, a word of solace, a word of adoption, a word that speaks of a relationship, a family, of welcome. Father, I pray that you would use Bob's words this morning to imprint, to fix, to fasten your word to our hearts, that we might walk by the power of your Holy Spirit, ever dying, ever dying that we might live, ever being humbled that we might one day be exalted. So, Father, please uh, bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Bob, please. Well, thank you for the joy of uh, worshiping with you today. And uh, thank you. Thank you to the musicians for your preparation uh, this morning. This, this doesn't happen out of nothing. Uh, people did a lot of planning and... Uh, a lot of preparation, so, so thank you for building us up in that way. This has been a week of, of warnings, because we have uh, ongoing pandemic warnings. We have uh, hurricane and tropical storm warnings. We've had flood and flash flood warnings. And also, I got a warning this week about you. <laughs> and, and, and you. And it's the warning, it's, it's warning about the ornery factor. Uh, it says uh, there are 10 factors that are putting church members in a bad mood. Uh, they're weary of the pandemic. Number two, they're confused. What's the truth about anything out there right now? Number three, they're fearful. Bad news every day, all the time. Number four, they feel they've lost their church. And this statement, which I think is trying to stir up fear itself, is uh, they have something to fear because things are never going to be like they were. Uh, five, they're weary of the cultural fight. Six, they're stressed because of the presidential election season. Seven, they see so much negativity on social media. What's that? But we can talk over the service. Uh, number eight, they miss gathering with their friends at church. A lot of times, you know, we have tensions, but it's sort of relieved because we, we blow off steam with our friends. But a lot of that has been curtailed. Uh, number nine, they've lost their outward focus. And that's one of the best things about this warning. It says, a self-focused church is an ordinary church. And a lot of truth in that. And number 10, they lament that their regular life patterns have been disrupted. So are you feeling ornery? We just had some Roman verses read, and they describe the antidote to orneriness. COVID existence may wear many down and, and demoralize people, but faith in Christ gives a place to stand. It gives a refuge. It gives a base of operations. It gives a social location. 
unlike that of people who seek hope and direction anywhere else. The Bible calls this social location many things. The people of God, the body of Christ, the church, the household of God, God's field, God's temple, a holy priesthood. Whatever the label, this new location is essentially, when you get down to it, it's a family. God makes believers his children. He becomes our father in heaven, who by his spirit, although he's in heaven, he is always with us here on earth through Christ our Savior. And our Romans reading points to six family traits that we share and that counter, they counteract any tendency to orneriness. So number one, and I know some people are going to take notes. This is a very simple sermon. It's just six things that counteract orneriness. We're not ornery because we share a new indebtedness. We're all in debt in the same way. And this is verse 12 of our reading. So then, brothers, and I'm reading from the ESV, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Notice first the word brothers. And we can translate it here brothers and sisters. Because Paul's writing to the whole church. But the Roman readers of this epistle don't have the same parents as Paul. So why does he call them brothers and sisters? And he calls them that ten times in the letter. Well, Paul here reflects a teaching of Jesus. Christ taught that God demands our ultimate loyalty, not our natural parents. Though we should certainly honor our natural parents. As followers of Jesus, we join a family centered on God's word and God's will. Jesus taught, and I quote, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother and any other family member you want to throw in there. Your natural family is not a forever family. But the family of God is everlasting. Many families are going to be broken up after this life. But the family of God is everlasting. Note that verse 12 speaks of the flesh. This refers to our inner self, the real me, unaided by God's grace through faith in Christ. It's the natural state of every human being, and it's not pretty. Proverbs 14 puts it this way. There's a way that seems right to a man, the way we're all hardwired to operate, but its end is death. Unless God intervenes in your life, you will live by your will, your decisions, your preferences, and you will be bound to do so. You will live by your will and not God's will. If we belong to God's family, we're no longer indebted. That's what that verse says. We're no longer indebted to live in bondage to our natural will, the flesh. We have new potential together in the same direction. And that leads us to verse 13. Number two, we're not ordinary because we share a new mode of living. Verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if you live by the Spirit, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The old way of living, living 
Without faith in Christ is a dead end. You will die means you will languish outside of God's will in this life, kind of like you know a boat without a rudder, and then you will face eternal separation from God in the life to come. But in Christ there's a new way to operate. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What does that mean? Well, our bodies, by default, are ruled by our flesh. Our will turns, tends to run against God's will. When we follow Christ, we begin to put to death the deeds of the body. We begin the process of swapping out our will, what we wanted to do in life, for God's higher will and God's better will. We did party hard on Saturday nights and then regret it Sunday mornings. Now there are a lot of uh, people here that, that are my age or maybe even a little older, but let me tell you younger people, they partied hard too when they were young. They know what I'm talking, they're, they're like, oh well I would never, oh yes you did. Back then, or for those of you who are younger, and know about this currently, church isn't on the radar screen, or church wasn't on the radar screen. Now we know better, and we live better. Maybe we used to lose our temper, or neglect our spouse or children, or maybe that's an ongoing battle, or gossip, or pad time at work, or steal, or swear, or eat to excess, or serve the flesh, not God, in all the creative ways that we have of doing that, seen and unseen. The Holy Spirit comes into our life and demands improvement. He is God's Holy Spirit, and he calls for our lives to be holy too. The Spirit also enables it. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Live here refers to the quality of life that the Bible calls eternal life. Your quality of life now improves as the glory of heaven shines more brightly in your life long before you reach heaven's gates. The Spirit gives us an appetite for better things, and he gives us the ability to pursue those things. Number three, we're not ornery because we share a new direction due to new management. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Looking back over life, I see very different outcomes in people's lives depending on whether they were led by God's Spirit or their own flesh and will. When you please yourself, even if you like the outcome, at least short term, there's something sad and dark there. Maybe some of you saw the, the Michael Jordan series that aired not long ago. Uh, my wife and I lived in Chicagoland for 20 years and both our children were born there. And we were there from 1980 to, to 2010, off and on. And MJ was a lot more popular than JC, Jesus Christ. And he remains a sport legend, not, not Jesus Christ, but MJ. The only person that rivaled MJ in those years was Mike Ditka, but that, that's another story. But you know, to me, Michael, MJ, as filmed and recorded, 
and I saw bits and pieces of it. He lacked all kinds of graces. He still hates, holds grudges, belittles people, and thinks he's the greatest. Now, I'm sinful too, and I'm not saying I'm good and he's bad. I'm saying MJ showed no signs of being led by the Spirit of God or being or claiming to be a son of God. And sometimes you do see athletes making that claim. We saw one this week where somebody stood. He wasn't going to kneel because he said, I'm a Christian. Christians don't kneel to things that aren't God, which I thought was a you know, defensible statement. Being led by someone besides yourself would mean be calling God your heavenly father through faith in Christ. And it would mean seeking God's glory and not your own. For Michael, it would mean forgiving Isaiah Thomas, which I gather from the show, he's never going to forgive Isaiah Thomas. And learning humility. There wasn't much humility in those interviews. MJ, in those programs, manages his own life for his own sake. The gospel puts us under new management by placing us into a different family. In the ancient world, the oldest son was the primary heir. The Greek in verse 14 does not, does not say children of God, even though many translate, translations translate it children of God. It, it says sons of God. Because whether you're male or female, whether you're young or old, if you make God your guide, if you're united with Christ, the Son of God, par excellence, God gives each of us the status of the privileged oldest son, right alongside his son. We are under new management, and what a benefit. And this leads us to number four, excuse me. We're not ordinary for a fourth reason, and that is we share a new paternity. Verse 815, you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom, referring back to the spirit, who is a he, not an it, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Without God, we do have reason to fear in life. Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed for man once to die, and after this, comes judgment. Without an eternal hope, we live unprepared for death and in slavery to the unknown future. That's why some people party so hard, they're in denial of what lies ahead and they don't want to face it. And actually, what's ahead is not unknown. After this life, we stand before God. Today, many are enslaved to destructive addictions. Alcohol is an age-old problem going all the way back into earliest biblical times, in fact. We have opioids, we have pornography, which I've read is booming during the pandemic. Some years ago, I was working in community events with a successful businessman, and he was active in civic affairs. He was the very picture of a prosperous man with a large house, and and income, and he was blessed with a wife and kids. But one day he told me, I hate my life. Now he had no interest in the gospel 
or God. He lived under a spirit of slavery to ambition, pride. He had a frat house mentality. He was very proud of his college degree. And he drank too much. And he had a stubbornness that resulted eventually in the end of his marriage. As things were going down the tubes in his personal life, which he hated, he was a slave to the very things that were destroying him. In the gospel, a new spirit, the Holy Spirit, enters fear and dread and dreariness. You know, partying can be very dreary. They're no longer the dominant menu item. Rather, something in us, something imparted to us from the outside, calls out to God, Abba, Father. That word Abba is the Aramaic for how children called their dads in the home. Now, in our home, my sons first said, Dad, and then they, and then finally they could say, Daddy, and eventually, Dad. They were like squawking geese. Well, how beautiful to have a father in heaven who invites us to squawk at him. He is perfect and all-powerful and bigger than sin and death and our fears. And he cares and loves us. And I'm looking at these two children right here. Your heavenly father cares for you and loves you in a perfect and eternal way. And please never forget it. This is a new paternity. God adopting us as his sons when we believe in his son. This is the foundational truth that changes our lives when we truly believe. Now, our own family may be a shambles. Nobody in our family may believe in Christ. But when we do, God places us into his family. There is no bigger or better step in life. And I highly recommend that it is someone coming out of a non-Christian family who married a wonderful young girl. We were both in our teens, and she also was not a Christian. Nobody in her family was a Christian. Hardly anybody is to this day, 47 years later. But the best thing we ever did in our lives was to find the Lord. It become part of God's family. No bigger or better step. We're not Henri for a fifth reason. And I said Henri, that's, that's dialectical. Around this part of the country, people say Henri out, out, out in the country. You know, we don't always know how to talk right. But the word, it's got an R in it. But uh, I was embarrassed once in graduate school. I said Henri. And uh, Dr. Walter Elwell, who we can call to graduate school, looked at me and said, Ornery. <laughs> how embarrassing. Well, we're not Henri or Ornery because, number five, <laughs> We share a new assurance. Verse 16, the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. How do you know you belong to God? This verse teaches that when the Holy Spirit enters our lives through faith in Christ, he fills us inside. He begins to fulfill us. He begins to enlarge that person we are within the hidden person. He creates space for the living God 
and his goodness and his will, where before there was only the flesh, shriveled, hard, and nasty. And he begins to cleanse us and make room for the liberating, pure will of God. And as we are united with Christ by faith, our spirits unite with the Holy Spirit. And the result is a growing assurance. It doesn't come all at once, it grows. We learn over time that the scriptures given by the Holy Spirit are really true. A lot of times people come into the faith and they have a lot of habits and scruples and convictions and they're very much against what the Bible says. And one of the assurances that we have the Holy Spirit is that we give in to what God's word says. We accept it as the script for our lives. Whether we like it or not, whether we agree with it or not, whether we understand it all or not, when it becomes clear what it says, we back up and say, well, you're God. I may not like it, you're the Lord. I worship you and I accept your word. We know the presence of the Spirit in various situations. Maybe at times of testing or temptation. And sometimes in those situations, the Spirit's presence is not welcome. Sometimes we resist the Spirit because we want to sin. We want to say a certain thing. We want to click on a certain thing. We want to read a certain thing. We want to dwell on a certain thought, and we're convicted. We want to resist it. But that's an assurance of the Spirit when we know He's with us in times of testing, whether it feels good or whether it feels unpleasant. It may be a time of joy. As I was worshiping this one, I've been thankful to God deep within. I was thankful for the music. That's the Holy Spirit in our musicians and in their preparation and in their prayers. The Holy Spirit is drawing us together and we're celebrating the presence of God by his Spirit. That's an assurance. It may be a time of danger when we know God is with us. God is with us. Not God the Father in heaven, not God the Son who's at God's right hand interceding for us, but God the Spirit who's fully one with the Father and the Son, but is also fully present with us who believe. He is able to assure us that he's there, and in his unique ways and by his perfect wisdom, he does it. And this leads to my sixth and last observation. We're not ornery because we share a new identity. Verse 17, if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. In human terms, maybe you are not an heir. Maybe you lack parents. Maybe your parents had nothing to leave you. Maybe your parents left their legacy to your sister and not to you. And I can tell you from experience this happens. But in Christ, God makes all his children into heirs. The blessings that Christ won on the cross and from the empty tomb become ours by grace. We become co-laborers with Christ. We seek to make disciples wherever he sends us. And this assumes that our loyalty is real enough to take some hits for his sake. And that's what it means when, he says, when it says, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The way of Christ is the way of the cross. 
And if we're just good time Christians, we have to ask, are we really Christians? Provided we suffer with him, it's a real bond, it's a real commitment. Good or bad, we're in. That we may also be glorified with him. Now we suffer not to atone for our sin because Christ did that. But to serve Christ and fulfill his will, often there is a pain and there is a cost. So let me finish with this. I'll bet somebody here has a pet cat or dog that you love deeply. Might have been the last thing you did this morning was hug your cat or dog. That animal is like family. Now, you're a human being. You're not a cat or a dog. How can an animal mean that much to you? Well, the answer is you adopted it. You picked it, you chose it, you accepted it, you bless it daily with food and attention. What love? And they love back, don't they? Well, God adopts you. He picks, chooses, accepts, leads, and protects those who trust in his son and who follow him and as necessary suffer with him and for him. Infinitely more than we can make pets become like we are, God's Holy Spirit makes us become more like Christ, his son. The Romans call to follow Christ, then, is at the same time a call to a new and everlasting family. You have a home where you matter because God cares for you. You have a home where your life counts because God is counting on you. You have a heavenly home after this life because God has adopted you not only for time but for eternity. So we close the book on being ornery as we open our heart to our new family adopted by God. Let us pray. Lord, how we